used to think that, or yeah, I totally know a hundred people who think that lie. This one little lie that when I tell you, you won't even believe it. You'll be like, I totally already know that that's not true. Well, one little lie makes people who are not Christian, who've never been to church, who've never known faith, it makes them stay away. It makes them say, I can't come to church. I can't go to God. What a terrible, terrible thing. This one little lie that you won't even believe when I tell you. This one little lie makes people who already are Christian, perhaps new Christians, when bad things happen in their life or when they're struggling to overcome some sort of sin or some sort of fault in their life, this makes them fall away. Isn't that terrible? Don't you want to know what this lie is and make sure you don't believe it? This one little lie, which you won't even believe when I tell you, you'll be like, Kylie, I don't really, really don't believe that. This one little lie takes people who are already Christian, maybe they've been Christian for many, many years, maybe they're even world-renowned leaders in the church, and it stops them, it makes them lose their ministries, it makes them lose their faith, it makes them lose their reputation. It's so, so bad, right? (laughs) Did you want to know what it was? There's one other thing that this does. (laughs) It's so bad. It just sneaks in. It makes people look at, at people who are Christians and call them hypocrites. You might not think that's bad, but that hurts when you're called a hypocrite. I don't know if you've ever been called a hypocrite. That hurts. So you do want to know what it is. Did you? not rhetorical. I wanted an answer. Do you want to know what this lie is? This one little lie. As soon as I tell you, you'll be like, ah, she's kidding. I don't even need to know this message because I don't believe it. This one little lie is this. And I tell you what, it's not, (laughs) it's not specific to Port Lincoln. It's not specific to like the iPod generation or iPhone generation iPod generation was a while ago, wasn't it? The iPhone generation. It's not specific to churches or to English-speaking churches. It's actually been this lie which is already in our lives lives now. It's been around a long, long time. We find it affecting churches in the Bible, and that's why I want to bring it up today. It probably actually has a way that it affects every sphere of life, but obviously I'm going to focus on how it affects us as believers and followers of Jesus. Are you sure you want to know what it is? You're not even going to believe it when I tell you. You'll be like, duh, it's so obvious, it's a dud, it's not legit. You ready? High five person next to you say, man, I'm ready already. It's this, I'm going to tell you, three, two, one, this is it, the big lie that Christians are perfect. That's it. And you're like, duh, I knew that I wasn't perfect. I've got a husband who told me, or I've got a wife who already made it perfectly clear. Or teenagers, they make it clear. Toddlers do as well. Parents do as well. I've got a brother or a sister. I way already knew. That's what you're saying to me. I way already knew, Kylie, that I wasn't perfect just because I was a Christian. But that is the lie. Christians are perfect. That's the lie that sneaks in in insidious little ways and it keeps people away from Jesus. I'll show you how. You would have heard people say this. People say, 
God will strike me down the day that I darken the doors of a church. You heard that? Somebody said to me once, I said, oh, we're doing uh, something in the church. Would you like to come? And they were like, do you have good roofing? I said, what for? I don't know. I suppose the roof's all right. Because of the lightning bolts that will come down when I walk into the church, they told me. People say, I'm not good enough to come to church. I'm not good enough to come to God. Why do they think that? It's because they think that Christians, to come to God, you've got to be perfect. And they're like, well, I ain't. So therefore, I can't come. I can't come to church. Is there any other group in the world who gets called a hypocrite more than Christians get called a hypocrite? Like, and the idea behind that is, have you heard people say like, oh, did you hear what so-and-so did? And he calls himself a Christian. How can you say that to me? I know I've been taunting you day and night for six years, but how can you say that to me and you call yourself a Christian? Where that comes from, this idea of Christians being hypocrites, is because people who are not Christians think, you've said you're a Christian, you're holding yourself up as though you're perfect. You've heard that, haven't you? People, people think we're saying we're perfect. For people who are maybe new to being Christian, the way that this lie that Christians are perfect affects them is they think, well, I've been baptised, I've come to the front of the altar, I've said the sinner's prayer, now I believe in Jesus. And then bad things happen in their life, like bushfires or a bad doctor's report or the economy goes bad. I don't know, all sorts of things, bad things can happen in our lives. And they think, didn't Jesus save me? And they think that means Jesus saved us from all discomfort how could I stub my toe that day? How did I get a flat tire? They think that if everything's not perfect, then maybe my faith is weak or maybe God is weak and they just let go of their faith. The most wonderful thing in the entire universe, faith in Jesus, they just let it go because of this terrible, terrible, insidious lie. And for people who are Christians, maybe they've got ministries, leaders in the church, this is what happens and I know you would have seen this. They put up this facade, I've got to be perfect. Maybe they're whatever, the worship leader or the preacher or some sort of leader in the church. They say, well, I've got to be perfect. And when they start to struggle with sin, with failings in their life, with things going on in their life, they can't reach out to, ha- to ask for help because they can't break through this fake perfection that they think they have to carry. I can't tell if you're my leader, I can't tell everyone that you know, I'm whatever, addicted to this whatever, or I can't stop doing this thing because I'm a leader. I have, to, I have to be perfect. I have to be like Jesus. And while we are called to be like Jesus, we are, we are not called to be perfect. And the reason that I want to, or what I want to do today is, as I said, it's not just a brand new uh, 21st century what year are we now? 2016, I almost said 1999. 2016 uh, problem, it was around since the beginning of the church, this idea that we've got to be perfect. And in part, it stems from things just like baptism or in the Jewish community, um, uh, the other right was circumcision. So these sorts of things, this circumcision and baptism and even things now like the sinner's prayer or coming to the front of the altar, where they are one-off events, and people think that they magically somehow make you a Christian and make you like Jesus and you must be perfect. 
So in the book of Colossians, I'm going to read through that today because this community, this church at, how do you say it, Bible college students, Colossae, Colossae, we learned I couldn't remember, the Colossian people, the Colossian church, they were going through just this exact thing. They thought they had to be spiritually perfect and they had teachers in their church telling them that. Not only that, this is just 30 years after Jesus. This is the first generation of Christians. They were already way confused. Not only that, but they had all these extra things. They thought, it can't really be true that all you have to do is turn to Jesus and he'll forgive you. There must be a lot more extra stuff involved here. That's too easy. So they made up lots of rules and regulations. They actually thought that since God is like spirit, then um, everything should be spiritual and, and we should hate the body. They thought the body was evil and life was evil and anything to do with like your body. So eating and drinking and getting married and, and just things that make us happy in the body, they were like, no, nah, that's evil. So they added all these extra rules and laws. So what I'm going to do is see in this letter, Paul, one of the greatest Christian leaders of all time, who wrote most of the letters in the New Testament, he's rebutting that. He's saying, guys, you got it wrong. And often he shoots straight from the hip, but he's, he's quite gentle in this one. So I don't know if he didn't think they'd listen very well, but he's convincing them gently. So I'm going to read from the book of Colossians, start in chapter 2, just kind of read a verse and then uh, speak about it. Is that okay? Did you believe that lie that you're perfect? Did you think that? Not at the top of your mind. Maybe. Maybe. Not if you're married, you wouldn't have thought that. Or maybe that's just me. I tell you, I think I'm pretty good for six months of the year when my husband's not there. <laughs> and then when he comes back, I find hmm, I've failed quite in a lot of things. Okay. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. And now, just as you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him. Let your lives be built on him and then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. So this people in Colossian church, they thought that they could be spiritually perfect. In fact, they only thought a few people could be spiritually perfect. It was a secret. There were secret, hidden, um, special ways to gain this spiritual perfection. The Bible makes it clear to us here and all the way through that God never uh, requires us to just boom, be perfect. It's very much a process, isn't it? Look at all those process words. You must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow. Let your lives being built. Your faith will grow strong, overflowing with thankfulness. So they're all process words. Uh, you know, that's why we talk about following Jesus as a journey, not a destination. Jesus uh, called, we see in the Gospels, Jesus called followers. He's, he's like, Andrew, come and follow me. He didn't go, Andrew, come over here. Now just stand now a little bit to the left. Yeah, right there. Just there. Boom. Perfect man. Perfect specimen. You're just like me. He didn't say just stand here. He said, follow me. Learn from me. Daily take up your cross. It's a daily thing that we do. It's a process of becoming more like Jesus. In verse 8 and 9, it says, Don't let, sorry, from here, don't let anyone capture you 
with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and spiritual powers of this world. Oh, he wasn't that kind. He was a little bit straight. High-sounding nonsense comes from this world rather than from Christ. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So you also are complete in your union with Christ. You're complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. Sometimes religious ideas can sound just really convincing, can't they? Especially if they're quite a lot of hard work. It seems like they must be legit because they're really hard to do. And that's why we need to read our Bibles regularly. We need to be able to... We read our Bibles not just as a nice prayer time, which it absolutely is, to encounter God's presence, but also so we just day by day get to know the character of God, get to know his ways, get to know how he interacts with us. Because then when people come up to us with some sort of new philosophy or some sort of new idea, we'll be able to straight away go, no, that's not what the Bible says. And we'll just, we might not know exactly where it is. We might not be able to go, oh, Galatians 3.16. That's not really that important to be able to say that. But to be able to say, no, that's not what the Bible teaches. That's not the character of God. And if I don't know exactly where it is, I can certainly find out. Uh, we're coming to get to know the character of God. That's why we need to read our Bibles regularly. It doesn't have to be a big party every single day. Just little bit by little bit, we're learning the character of God. And you'll see, as Paul is saying to these people, um, you know, that they've got all this high-sounding thinking and philosophies, the place he starts with is Jesus. It's like you are complete in Jesus. Again, that doesn't mean you're perfect now in Jesus. It means you've got everything that you need to live a life of faith in Jesus. He's already given us everything that we need. So when people start to tell you, oh, yes, you need Jesus and this special book for 1995. Then you'll, then you'll have it. Well, you don't. When people tell you you need Jesus, but also you have to say this special prayer every day at this particular time, and then you'll be right. Or you have to do this secret special ceremony that only a few people know about. Then you'll be able to say straight away, no, I know that is wrong. I'm complete. Everything I need for a life of faith has already been given to us in Jesus. Not perfect, just complete. In fact, in this book of Colossians, uh, it talks about, it uses the word perfect, but the study notes in my Bible say that it doesn't mean flawless or spotless, never going to sin again. It means mature, like grown up, complete. Uh, so, God's never wanting us to be perfect. We don't, it's not even our aim. We're not aiming to be perfect all the time. Uh, we're aiming to just be mature, to grow up in our faith, to have a, a grown-up understanding and relationship with God. Okay, verse uh, 20, 11, verse 11, verse 11, verse 20, 11, yeah. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, a cutting away of your physical sinful nature. That's what Pastor Rob said, isn't it? 
For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. So the early Jewish people, the people who were possibly in this church, may have been circumcised. Initially, in fact, in Jewish tradition, uh, people would get baptized and circumcised to become a Jew. That's why when it gets to like John the Baptist, not his real full name, John probably, and we could just call him John the Baptist, um, no one's surprised that people are getting baptized. Baptism isn't just a new Christian thing that Jesus made up because he got baptized and John was baptizing people beforehand. So it was part of their rituals. They would get baptized and circumcised. Um, eventually, if you'll pardon the pun, we cut out the circumcision bit. So now all we do is get baptized. Um, But it's always been, since the Jewish times, it's always been, as Pastor Rob was saying, an outward sign of an inward thing that's happening, a spiritual event that's happening, and it's always been associated with repentance, turning away from not living God's way, turning to God's way. And there's nothing secret about it. Baptism has always been done out in the open, always been a public event. Jesus came to reveal God to us in public. He was on the census. He's a man who came, as says the word, dwelt among us. Jesus didn't hide away in secret caves only for special people. He's always been out in public, and so is baptism. We make a public declaration. But the water is not magical. This is like there's a tap back here. We got gas from like old gas or something. It's just the same water that you'd have. It's possibly a bit less good quality because we don't use it very often. It's just water out of your tap. It's not magical water that changes you to make you perfect. It's a sign. Sure, those guys are possibly slightly cleaner than us, slightly damper, but there's this outward sign of an inward thing going on, not magical waters that make you uh, perfect. So if it's not making you perfect, what is it doing apart from making you damp? Verse 13, it says, You were dead because of your sins, and your sinful nature was not yet cut away. So this is before we come to believe in Jesus. We're dead because of our sins, and because our sinful nature is not yet cut away. And then God made you alive with Christ because he forgave all our sins. He cancelled the record of charges against us. He took it away by nailing it to the cross. Uh, In the Message Bible, it says, he wipes our slate clean. Isn't that just the crux of the whole gospel? That's just the capital G of the good news. He wipes our slate clean. Through Jesus' death, he makes a way from us, not only just to know who God is, but to be reconciled to God, to have an intimate relationship with God, to know God every day in our lives. If whether you're a Christian or not, have you ever, you don't have to put up your hands, <laughs> but have you ever known guilt? Don't put up your hands. That feeling of guilt, it feels like, I've felt this guilt like a weight on my shoulders, like a physical weight on my shoulders, or maybe like a hot, sinking feeling in the pit of your belly, hoping that you won't get caught, face going red as you, as as people get nearer to knowing your secret or whatever it is, that feeling of guilt, and there's nothing you can do to get rid of it. 
time passes and if you think of that thing again, the guilt just comes straight back up like it didn't dim with the passage of time, does it? There's nothing we can do on our own to get rid of guilt. Or maybe you know that sense of just feeling, like this says that we were dead inside, just feeling that sense of like watching a spark going out inside of you, just feeling like it's not really, just not feeling really what's the point in life. I've got no more sense of life in me. And the message of Jesus is, is this, that we have hope that he can, can forgive. He offers to forgive all of our sins. He offers to wipe the slate clean. He offers to wash us completely. The Bible says, you were, your sins stained you like the color red, like scarlet, but I will make you, God speaking, I will make you white as snow. I wash away all your sins. I clean the slate. I cancel the debts that were against you. This is the good news about Jesus. It sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? It sounds too good to be true. I know that it is true, but I know it sounds too good to be true. And this is what the Colossian people thought too, because that's why they kept adding heaps more rules to it. You know, I had a good friend, Marlene, and I kept asking her to come to church, and she would be like, nah, I'm not coming to church. I'm not that kind of person. Nah, I'm cool. That's all right. I don't need to come. I don't know what you guys do there. Heaps of excuses under the sun. I didn't pester her. I just kept offering, oh, you want to come to church? And one day she said, I was like, oh, how come you won't? Why, why, what do you think will happen? Why, why won't you come? And she got really sad and she told me, I'm not good enough. I can't come there. They'll judge me or God will judge me like he can't see you if you're outside the doors. <laughs> She's like, no, I can't, I can't, I'm not good enough. I can't, I can't come. How many people have I heard say that? Oh, people will judge me. I was like, Marlene, you have it so backwards because this is the one place in all of society where the actual, like the secret handshake to get in, the entrance exam, the initiation right is, I am a sinner. You have to admit that before we let you in. If you haven't admitted that, you're not a full member of the church here. You're still a visitor. Let me show, let me see a show of hands. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you've known that you're a sinner, that your life was broken and you needed a saviour, come on. If you're not a Christian, I hope you looked around. We are the ones who admit we're the broken ones. Look at our initiation rites, having a bath in public. <laughs> we say, oh, I'm, wearing, I'm here in front of a whole bunch of people, some I know, some I don't know, and I admit that I'm not clean enough to come to God and I have to have a wash in public and let God do something in me to make me clean. That's how, that's how we get in. There's no part of the Bible or of Christianity that says you're, you're not good enough to come here. What it says is we're all not good enough to come here, but in Jesus, we're all accepted. We're all forgiven, no matter what, no matter, like the songs we sing, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, there's nothing. Because he already died on the cross before we were born, before we committed any sins doesn't matter what I do. He's already paid for that on the cross before I was even born. And you know what? After that, she came to church. That was a lie that she'd held on to for so long. She's moved back to Auckland now, but she's a committed Christian. She's at church every week. Praise God. She just needed that 
lie to be taken out of, our, out of her life. So these Colossian church, this Colossian church, these people, they were thinking it's too good to be true. And so they latched on to this idea that it can't just be as easy as turning to Jesus. I must also need a whole list of laws, make it really complicated. And this is what Paul is saying. It doesn't have to be like that. In verse 20, it says, You have died with Christ and he has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. So why do you keep on following the rules of this world, such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch? Such rules are mere human teachings that are about things that deteriorate as we use them. And these rules may seem wise because they require a strong devotion, pious self-denial and severe bodily discipline, but they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. Did you know around the world, even now, all through the ages, it's like the church never ever read the scripture, all through the ages, including now, there are churches who won't let their members own TVs or drink coffee or do certain things or wear certain clothes. And, and Paul's saying those things, uh, those things don't help you be a better person. Those things don't help you be more like Jesus. There are people who, who do things that see severe bodily discipline, you know, who um, like whip their bodies as they pray and stuff like that, thinking it all comes from this idea which is called Gnosticism, which is like our body is evil and everything has to be super, super spiritual. Um, but it's just not. So listen to the next part, verse chapter 3. Since you have been raised to Christ with new life, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honour at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven and not the things of earth. For you died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will receive his glory. Gosh, there's so much in every verse, but it doesn't make us better people to be focused on our own failings. God doesn't want us to be staring at ourselves going, oh man, I was totally mean to my husband one more time. Belly gazing, we call that navel gazing, isn't it? And remember that Paul is talking to people who are being too super spiritual. So he's not saying to only be spiritual and not think about the things of this world ever again. What he's saying is the rules and regulations that you make in your lives, they're not going to improve you. They're just going to make us arrogant, aren't they? If we think, oh yes, I do all the rules. But if we keep our eyes, our heart and our mind focus on the reality of God, then that will help us. You see, if I'm denying myself like these people were by never eating yummy food, it's not going to make me kinder to my neighbour or even my enemies. probably make me grumpier. But if I fix my heart and my mind on the reality that Jesus is alive, that I have hope in him, that my sins are forgiven and that he's put his spirit in me, his presence is right here with me, then when I'm talking to someone who may well be an enemy, I know the presence of God is with me, helping me, guiding me. The presence of God is here right here with this person, loving him as well. The presence of God is here. When I know that to be a reality, that's totally going to affect my behavior, isn't it? That's absolutely going to cause me to feel love for my neighbor or my enemy, and it's going to cause me to be aware of what Jesus would be like for that person. So let's not focus on our failings. 
We already know that we fail. Let's just get past that already. Let's focus on the reality that God is with us, his presence is with us, and the reality of, of heaven. So, being a Christian means a daily process of following Jesus. So, what did Paul mean when he talked about our nature being changed? <clears throat> Pastor Rob mentioned that as well. He talks about our sinful nature being changed. So, if it doesn't make us change into being perfect, doesn't magically do anything changing us, then what does it do? How is our nature changed? Our new nature, our nature changes from being as if we are orphans to being the adopted sons and daughters of God. We go from being outsiders to being part of God's family. Not that we become perfect, but we become his children. In Romans 8, 5, it says, You haven't received a spirit of fear, of slavery, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons and daughters of God, and you can cry out, Abba, Father. That word Abba, I'm sure you've heard it before. It's, it's like Daddy. Uh, in my church, I went to in Auckland. There were people from, I think it's Iraq or something, and this little kid running along, Abba, 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 Abba. That's the first time I realized it really is just like a little kid saying, Daddy, this is a relationship that God offers us that we'd be his sons and daughters. In 1 John 3, 1 to 2, it says, See how great a love the Father has given us that we would be called the children of God. Beloved, we are the children of God. And then he talks about the process as well. It has not appeared yet what we will be like. But when he appears, we will be like him because we'll see just like he is, who he, just as he is. So we're not there yet. Baptism doesn't make us there yet. An altar call response doesn't make us there yet. The sinner's prayer doesn't make us there yet. Having a ministry doesn't make us there yet. We're not perfect. We haven't been called to be perfect. We've been called to follow Jesus. And it's not about following rules or regulations or doing this and not doing that. It's about just in every part of our lives, allowing the light of faith, allowing the words of Jesus to come into every part of our lives. And that requires a little bit of work. I remember when I was, the first time I really understood that Jesus is coming back. You know, I think I'd heard of like the second coming. Oh, something will happen. Jesus will come back and make the earth and us new or something like that. But one time I was at a youth camp and there was a speaker there and he's like, Jesus said nobody knows the hour or the day but that he's going to come back. And, and then he was like, you know, next guys, we've got lunch, but we might not even get lunch because Jesus might come back. And tonight we've got the talent show, but you, you can practice all you want, but we might not even have to do it because Jesus might come back. He might come back today. He might come back tonight. It might be tomorrow. We don't know when it is. Man, I was excited. I've got to tell you, I probably had assessments due the next week, but I was, I was like, he might come back any second and save me from all of that. I was so excited. I, right then I was like, that's it. Every second of my life is going to be devoted only to Jesus, only to the things of Jesus. And I did that for the whole next afternoon. And then I went home from the youth camp and immediately my resolve was tested. Possibly not in the way you think. 
My result was tested when I turned on the radio because I was a teenager and music was really, really important to me. And in Auckland, where I grew up, oh, this is before, you know, Spotify and we couldn't, there was no other way to access music. I just, all I had was a radio. Um, in Auckland, where we have more radio stations per capita than anywhere else in the whole world, we had one Christian radio station and it was staticky and it only played like hymns from, say, the 1700s. So I turned on, I was like, that's it, man, I'm all for Jesus now. I'm not listening to that good, oh, that was a good song. No, I'm not listening to that. Turn it to the Christian radio station and it's a 1700-year-old hymn. And I thought, hmm, for the rest of my life, <laughs> only the Christian radio station? Is this how it's going to be now? So it's pretty easy, and I think it was easy in, in early, early church. If Jesus is coming back today, no problem. I can deal with you, and I can deal with 17-year-old or 100, whatever, 300-year-old hymns. I can deal with stuff because it's not very long. It's like a sprint. Yep, no problem. I can be hard passionate for that long. But when we think, maybe I'll live to, you know, I got a superannuation paper the other day. They said you should plan your superation, superannuation to last until you're 92. So when I'm thinking, maybe I have to live until I'm 92 and I'm only going to listen to this dodgy radio station. When we're seeing life as a journey that's a marathon and not just a sprint, we have to and I noticed pretty quickly there is no law in the Bible that says you're only allowed to listen to Christian radio stations forever and ever and amen. So we have to do a, a lot more digging. We have to look at who the character of Jesus is and what does that mean and constantly be all our thoughts, all our actions, constantly letting the words of Jesus into those things because there is nothing about TV or iPods or internet or just like anything that's around now or anything that's around in 50 years, it's not in there. So we need to let his word into our lives in the context of wherever our life is right now. And it says this in the Message Bible, it says in uh, verse 17, let every detail in your lives, words, actions, whatever. So that includes what music I listen to, the whatever let every detail in your lives, whatever, words, actions, everything, be done in the name of the Master Jesus, thanking God the Father every step of the way. It's not about rules and I do this and I'm not allowed to do that. It's about letting Jesus, letting his presence into those areas and saying, how do I navigate this, Lord? What do I do in this situation? How can I be loving? How can I be like you? I'll just close with this verse. So it's chapter 3, verse 15 to 17 in the Message Bible. I'll have Beth up. It says, Let the word of Christ, the message, have the run of your house. Give it plenty of room in your lives. I love that. Let the word of Christ have the run of the house. Give it plenty of room in your lives. Instruct and direct one another using good common sense and sing, sing your hearts out to God. Let every detail in your lives, words, actions, whatever, be done in the name of Jesus. Thanking God the Father every step of the way. So if you are not a Christian today and you want to be, you literally, all you have to do is just ask him. 
It literally is that simple. There's no secret course. There's no long process. There's no special book. You literally, all you have to do is turn to Jesus. If you want to be forgiven, if you want your slate to be wiped clean, if you want that burden of guilt to be washed away, then all you have to do is just not even standing up, just closing your eyes and speak to Jesus. You don't have to say a special prayer. We just freestyle our prayers. To Moses, it says he spoke to God like as if to a friend. God understands our language. But know that it's not a magical prayer. It doesn't make you perfect. It doesn't make life perfect. It makes you a son or a daughter of God. It makes you forgiven. It's the first step in the lifelong journey of coming to know Jesus. So what I'd like to do this morning is just allow, just like two or three minutes, while Beth just quietly plays the music, uh, if we all just close our eyes. If there is anyone who would like to, maybe for the first time, or if you're thinking like, I, I feel that guilt, I want to... I wanted to have it go away. I want to be forgiven. I want to be washed. I'm just giving you this moment now that in your heart that you'd just be able to say that to Jesus. And if you are already a follower of Jesus, and now we know for sure that you're not perfect, spoiler alert this morning, I just want you to allow God to speak to you this morning. We'll just take a minute and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you about this verse. Let the word of Christ have the run of your house. Give it plenty of room in your lives. Since we know God's not made us perfect in a moment, let's just let the Holy Spirit shine his light on any areas in our life that we haven't given him the run of our house, that we haven't given him plenty of room whether it's our words or our thoughts or our relationship or our choices. Just let the Holy Spirit speak to you this morning. Is it like an area of your life where you act like you're an orphan? You don't act like you're a well, well-known and well, well-loved son or daughter. each other, that we can help each other on this journey. We thank you for the excitement of seeing these people baptised this morning to be part of that in our church. Help us to 
hold them up and strengthen them. Help us all not to believe that lie that separates us from each other and separates us from you. Thank you that your presence is with us. Help us to keep our hearts and our minds fixed on that reality and let your presence change us day by day. Let your presence lead us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for speaking to us this morning.